All right, we want to welcome everyone tonight. It's good to see Drew. It's been a long time since she's been with us. So uh, what we're going to do tonight <clears throat> is finish up. If I can get the frog out of my throat. <clears throat> we're going to finish up on Song of Solomon. <clears throat> Excuse me. We are not going to finish up the series on mind-brain connections. That's going to go on for quite a while. And I'm excited to finish up Song of Solomon because I have some real interesting things that I feel are interesting that I've been looking at really since we started this series last August. So this series has been going on for a year almost and it's going to go on uh, possibly, I'm not even going to say, it could go on another year because I, I'm really seeing some real revelation beginning to come forth as we come to realize that the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere represent really everything that we could ever experience in spirit with the Lord, as the Lord, by turning within, by exercising the single eye through spontaneous meditation, through purposeful meditation, it all can be applied to the right and the left hemisphere. Now, what we've been doing in this series is showing how that the right hemisphere represents the mind of Christ, represents exercising the single eye, as I've already stated, represents spontaneous meditation. And what is spontaneous meditation? Well, when something of the appearance realm looms up before you, rather than reacting in the flesh, rather than reacting according to how it looks or how it feels, if we will stop, and it only takes a few seconds to just turn within, then instead of reacting according to the flesh, or instead of giving it a power that it really never has had, we will respond by spirit. In other words, we will begin to look at that appearance realm, whatever it is, through the single eye. And that's what Jesus talked about in Matthew. He said, if your eye be single, your whole body will be full of light. And we talked about the fact that the pineal gland is connected with the single eye in the scripture. And once the pineal gland is activated, what it does is secrete, especially in the nighttime, melatonin that kills cancer cells, that lightens the skin. They're saying now that it... Uh, swallows up or it dissolves heart blockages it does all kind of things it renews the youth uh, it stops the aging process so what we have been doing in this series is seeing how that when we exercise the single eye it causes something to take place in the pineal gland in the pituitary gland we begin to experience the energy that's in our solar plexus to begin to rise up through the spine it's called the kundalini to some people. I just call it the energy that the brain manufactures and then brings that energy down into the solar plexus and then it releases the energy up the spine from the solar plexus and it throws open the right hemisphere. All of that is connected together. And we've been talking about this in the whole series. I think we're on about number 43 or so, a lesson on this. So we've talked about the right hemisphere representing the Christ mind, exercising the single eye, spontaneous meditation, 
purposeful meditation. How many know Jesus involved himself in purposeful meditation all the time? He'd get away from the crowds and he'd go off the seashore or up in the mountain, whatever, and he would meditate there. And that is why that Jesus never did anything but what he saw the Father do and he never said anything but what he heard the Father say because he involved himself. He was always turning within, always turning within. And then we talked about the left hemisphere simply representing carnal thinking, living out of our natural reasoning in and of itself, living out of our intellect in and of itself, living out of our emotions. And how many know our emotions can get us in trouble? When we operate out of our emotions in and of themselves, now nothing wrong with the left side. God gave us the left side. But when we operate out of the left side in and of itself and it's not submitted to spirit, then we can get in trouble by living strictly out of the left side. So what we're saying is the two need to become one. And that constitutes the consummation of the marriage. Now, we've always been married. We've never been separate. We've always been one. But what we're talking about in this series is us consummating the marriage. And what is that? <coughs> that is submitting the left side and all that the left side represents to the spirit side, to the Christ mind, and to the single eye. And then we are consummating the marriage. And what are we doing there? We are birthing the nature of Christ. We're manifesting the nature of Christ. And we know that Romans 8 says that the whole creation is on tiptoe looking for this, that we're talking about looking for the manifestation of the sons of God, looking for a people that are bearing the fruit of God or the fruit of Christ, and it's not fruit that's here today and gone tomorrow, but it is fruit that remains. Right. So what I want to do is just give a little overview of Song of Solomon, because as I said, after tonight, I'm going to leave Song of Solomon. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about Jonah. You know, so many people have taken that story of Jonah, and they've said, well, you know, he was uh, disobedient, so he got thrown overboard, and he was swallowed by a a big old well, and then the well gets a virus and pukes him out and pukes out an evangelist. Well, that's really not what it's all about. It really is happening within us. Every story that we can read in the Old Testament is happening within us. They are stories that, yes, they're there as stories, and, and I'm not saying that there's not some literacy to some of that, but what I want to do is I want to move beyond the historicity of those stories and see that each and every one are happening within us. Every story that you can read in the Old Testament is something that is happening within you and I. So we're going to look at Jonah, and then we're going to look at, uh, we're going to move on and look at Jesus uh, going through walls. We're going to look at Jesus walking on the water. We're going to look at some of the parables that he spoke. We're going to look at uh, the fig tree. Did Jesus really curse a fig tree? I mean, here is Jesus, this loving man, in his life and in his ministry. He gets hungry one day. Now, all he's doing is healing and delivering and stopping storms. And he gets hungry one day, and he comes up to a fig tree, and there's no fruit there, so he kills it? I don't think so. I don't think that's what happened there. But I think that it is a story of something that is happening within us. I'd love to get into that right now. Mm -hmm. Because there's something about figs that we have not known and we've not seen. But I'm not going to blow the message. We'll, we'll, we'll go there when we get there. So we're going to look at some of these things after we finish Song of Solomon tonight. So let me just back up and let me just give a little history on Song of Solomon and just a little bit about each of the chapters. We're in chapter 8 tonight if you want to follow along. 
But just a little history, this particular book was read on Passover annually, and you had to be 30 years of age to even sit under the reading of the book of Song of Solomon. Why? 30 is the number that speaks of maturity. Uh, can you imagine reading Song of Solomon in front of someone that is immature? What would they think? I mean, there's some graphic language there in the book of Song of Solomon. So that's why they had to have some maturity so that they would look at Song of Solomon not as some sexual book, not as something taking place between a man and a woman. It wasn't about that at all. It's a love story about Christ and the church. And of course, we all know that. It was King Solomon and it was the Shulamite. Now, the term Shulamite is the feminine part or feminine principle of the name Solomon. So that designates that they were always one, but then there was a desire within her to come together with the king or with Solomon to consummate the marriage, even though they were always one. So we looked at that just a little bit. See, she wanted to experience this oneness, or the way we would term that today is moving beyond Passover through Pentecost and coming to Tabernacles, because Tabernacles speaks of oneness. Now, the religious church today says, well, you know, tabernacles is trumpets, atonements, and tabernacles. And they say, well, Jesus is going to come back on a white horse, tooting a golden trumpet, and he's going to rapture us off to heaven somewhere, and he's going to set everything straight on the earth. And they say that's what tabernacles is. And then we're going to be one. We're going to experience this feast of tabernacles in heaven somewhere. And there's going to be a whole, you know, table of food, and you can eat as much as you want without gaining an ounce, and all of this crazy carnal stuff that they say about the feast of tabernacles. And the feast of tabernacles is something that is happening within us today as we come to the awareness of our oneness as we see that we never came here with a sinful nature or an Adamic identity, but we've always been one, but now we want to consummate the marriage between what? Spirit and our awareness. As we see the right and the left come together as a result of the left submitting or yielding to the right side. We don't want to operate out of our emotions in and of themselves or our intellect or our reasoning ability in and of itself but we want to yield that to the spirit so spirit can be filtered through that and the two can experience that oneness. So in chapter one, we found out that she made a statement, the Shulamite did, and she says, I am black but calmly. Now we found out that black meant strictly intellect. I am moving out of my intellect, but I'm beautiful because I see there's a potential within me to submit or to yield that intellect to the right side. And then also in chapter 1, she says, Thy love, which means intimacy and speaks of tabernacles and oneness, thy love is better than wine. Meaning what? I want to move beyond Pentecost. Or let me say it this way. I want to move just beyond my emotions in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. That's really what she was saying there when she said, Thy love, intimacy, consummating the marriage is better than uh, the Pentecostal realm where my emotions are constantly flaring and operating out you know, apart from spirit. And that's really what she was saying in chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, she was brought to the banqueting table. And at the banqueting table, she began to hear a whole new level. She was being fed on a whole new level. And let me just say, we are, we have been being fed on a new level. But I'm here to declare to us today that you know what? It's even being lifted up higher. Yes. We're lifting it up even higher. In chapter 3, she begins to see 
objective for her. And what was his objective for her? That he might reproduce himself through her right. as himself. Yes. And that's exactly what took place. In chapter 4, he describes her from her waist up. Remember, he didn't describe her from her waist down, but from her waist up. Why? Because it had not yet become a walk. Mm -hmm. She hadn't consummated the marriage. It had not become a walk as of yet. In chapter 5, now in chapter 4, remember she said, let my beloved come into his garden. And then in chapter 5 is where he said, I've already come into your garden. I'm already there. You just need to wake up to that. And the garden is what? The garden is the right side. Or excuse me, the garden is the left side. It's bringing that left side into the oneness of the right side. You and I have a vineyard. What is the vineyard? Where is the place in you and I that we need to keep the garden? On the left side, see? In, 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 the, in this place. Where, see, and that's not, see, Adam didn't do that. He thought he could do something to be like God, so he didn't keep the garden. Right. He allowed all kind of lies to enter into the left side. He believed from the left side, rather than submitting that left side, you see, to the right side, the Christ mind. Then in chapter 6, she so impressed the daughters. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how that when we look at the daughters of Jerusalem, I showed you that the daughters of Jerusalem, and we're going to look at them differently tonight, but the daughters of Jerusalem can represent our emotions. Anytime you see mother or daughter uh, in, in the scriptures, you can interpret that as something from the feminine principle of our being that needs to be submitted to the husband, that needs to be submitted to the Christ mind. So we looked at the daughters of Jerusalem as our emotions in and of themselves, realizing the potential that we have if we can yield those emotions to the right side. We saw that in chapter 7. Now, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to take the daughters of Jerusalem and I'm going to make a different application to the daughters of Jerusalem. Because how many know, once our emotions are submitted to the Christ and we're beginning to view things through the single eye, then the daughters of Jerusalem, which would represent, and this is important, the daughters of Jerusalem that would represent those who are asleep in Christ, which would be those who are what? Are believers, but yet they're bamboozled and hoodwinked by a bunch of religious concepts. Okay? So once we take our emotions, the daughters, when we're still operating in our emotions, and we begin to realize the potential when our emotions and our intellect and our reasoning abilities are under the control of the Spirit, then we move into the Shulamite company. Can you hear that? Yes. And so the Shulamite company then, as the emotions in the left side is submitted to the right, we move from the daughters within ourselves to the Shulamite company. We've consummated the marriage. And now the daughters of Jerusalem to us would be those who are asleep in Christ. In other words, the believers that are deceived still. And also... The daughters of Jerusalem can be, beyond those asleep in Christ, can be those who are dead in Christ. Now, who are the dead in Christ? The dead in Christ are those who have been in Christ all the time, from eternity, but they have never acknowledged that. See, all men are in Christ, but there are those that are asleep in religion. All men are in Christ, but there are some that are dead, meaning they have not even acknowledged the fact that they're in Christ. So what am I saying? I'm saying now, 
as we have the left side submitted and under the control of the spirit, we move from being within ourselves a daughter of Jerusalem, we move to becoming a part of the Shilamite company that is one and is birthing Solomon, birthing the king, birthing Christ. Christ is flowing out of our life. And it is going to affect, according to Romans chapter 8, the groaning creation, which includes, let me say, which includes not just the asleep in Christ, but includes the dead in Christ. Because we become what? We become then that, if you want to say example, we become that manifestation to those who are asleep in religion and those who are even dead in Christ and haven't even, you know, acknowledged anything of being in Christ. So with that in mind, let's begin to read in chapter 8 and verse 1. Chapter 8 and verse 1. Now as we begin here in verse 1 of chapter 8, the Shulamite is speaking here. So let's say it's us speaking now. Our emotions have been, have been submitted. Spirit is in control. We're judging things not by the seeing of the eyes on our head or the hearing of the ears on our head. We're judging things and discerning things by the single eye now. Something looms up before us, a financial problem, a physical problem, a social problem, a mental problem. It looms up before us, and we begin to look at that thing with the single eye of the right side. Rather than looking at it through the natural eyes, or hearing things about that particular situation through the natural ears. But we're judging righteous judgment, okay? So what does that mean? That means now that people are going to see the Christ consummated in our life and they're going to as Romans chapter 8 says recognize that's the manifestation of the nature of Christ they're going to see it listen people see more than we realize yeah they do you know in fact I think the dead in Christ probably might see it a little bit quicker sometimes than the asleep in Christ mm -hmm. because the asleep in Christ are so you know hoodwinked and bamboozled in their false concepts and religiosity uh, right. Not totally, and you know, not all the time, but you know, I've had a lot of people that are more open to this word that I teach than the asleep in Christ. Right. I've had more dead in Christ people, or let me say it this way, people that don't name the name of Christ. Yes. Uh, be more open to this than many of those who are believers but are thinking out of the left side and are deceived by religiosity. Right. So let me read this here in verse 1. Again, so this is what I was saying. This is the Shulamite speaking, or we could say this is us speaking now. Us who what? Have come up to the Shulamite stature, if you will, who have consummated the marriage. So listen to what we're saying here in verse 1 of chapter 8. Oh, that thou wert as my brother that sucked the breast of my mother. When I should find thee without, I would kiss thee, yea, I should not be despised. Now this is the principle here of restoration. And it's the Shulamite's desire here, this is what she's saying in verse 1, it's simply the principle of restoration and it's simply the Shulamite saying that my desire is to reach the asleep in Christ and the dead in Christ. When you study in the book of Ruth, we find out in the book of Ruth that Ruth, when she birthed a baby, what did she do? She took it and she gave it to Naomi. What is that? That is a picture of us birthing Christ and giving it to people. Or in other words, the asleep in Christ seeing that and the world seeing that. Now notice the phrase there in verse 1 of chapter 8 where it says, find thee without. Find thee without. What I should find thee without. Now I could apply that on more than one level. 
The first level I want to apply that on is the fact of Jesus was crucified without the camp. Remember the scripture says that? They took him outside the camp and they crucified him. But now listen, what did his death do? His death exposed the lies of religion. As this left side, as we consummate the marriage, and the left side, the two will become one, the right and the left. And we've submitted that left side to where they become one and we've consummated the marriage. What will we begin to do to people that are asleep in Christ? At least if they're open and they come asking, we're going to expose the lies of religion to them. And to me, the biggest lie of religion to those asleep in Christ is that they came here with a sinful nature and an Adamic identity. And the first question that people ask when you begin to open that up to them is just kind of like Paul when he talked about sin and they came to Paul and they said, you mean you're telling us we can just go about our lives and sin? He said, no, that's not what I'm saying. So the first question that people ask us, and they're already asking it, I've had several on Facebook ask me this question. So you're saying that we never had an Adamic identity? You're saying we never came here with a sinful nature? You're saying we were never separate from our Father? Then why in the big round world did Jesus have to go to the cross? Mm -hmm. That's the question. Mm -hmm. Jesus went to the cross to expose the lies that we came here with an Adamic identity and a sinful, nation, uh, a sinful nature. And he revealed in his resurrection the truth of who we always were in him and how we never were separate. We never had a sinful nature. We never were a sinner. We never came here with an Adamic identity. So number one, first of all, when you see this phrase, when I should find thee without, you can apply that to Jesus' death because he, his death took place without the camp. And what took place in his death was that he exposed the lies of religion that we were fed for so many years. Secondly, let me look at it this way. And most specifically, the Shulamite is saying, because notice what it says there, Oh, that thou wert as my brother, that sucked the breast of my mother, when I should find thee without, I would kiss thee, yea, I should not be despised. So what this is saying here, what we're saying as the Shulamite, that's one with the king now and birthing the king, what we're saying is that as we reveal the truth, expose the lies to the religious, those that are asleep in Christ, reveal the truth even to those that are dead in Christ, what are we doing? We are kissing them with the holy kiss. Mm -hmm. It's a holy kiss that we are giving unto them. And let me just say this. Because there was a time that the church did not have a problem with us ministering to the asleep in Christ, they're really having a problem with us now ministering to the dead in Christ. Mm -hmm. See, and that's what happened to Jesus. They really got on his case because he hung around, you know, the people that were of ill repute and that sort of a thing. In fact, sometimes I think he felt more comfortable with those people than he did the religious people, yeah. those that were asleep in Christ, you see. And so, so this kiss here, and see, and this is what we're finding here because those within the church... Now they're beginning to embrace inclusion a little bit. So now they're beginning to not be so upset if we are ministering to the dead in Christ because they're finally beginning to embrace a little inclusion. So what the Shulamite, listen, the Shulamite is kissing the world with the message the of the truth about who they have always been in Christ. And the biggest way we're kissing them with the holy kiss 
I used to go to a church that uh, they literally kissed with a holy kiss. The, the women kissed the women, the men kissed the men, and the women sat on one side of the church, and the men sat on the other, all kind of segregation going on. And they took this literally. But listen, we are kissing those asleep in Christ and those that are dead in Christ by showing them, by exposing the fact of what Jesus exposed and by revealing the truth of what is resurrection revealed, and that is we never were separate from the Father. Never separate from my dad. We never were separate. We were never a sinner. A sinner is simply one that just doesn't know who they are because sin means mistaken identity. And then out of the mistaken identity comes the behavioral problems. Right. Okay? Now, in verse 2, notice in verse 2, the Shulamite is still speaking, or let me say it this way, we're still speaking, as the Shulamite company or this first fruit company or those that have birthed the nature of Christ, we're still speaking. And notice it says, I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house who would instruct me. I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. Now, what the Shulamite is saying here or what we're saying here is, and remember the pomegranate, all the good stuff was on the inside. So what are we doing? We are going to, by revealing these truths, by revealing the lies of the death exposed, by revealing the truth of the resurrection revealed, we are going to these people as spirit leads, the asleep in Christ and the dead in Christ, and we are causing them to be able to drink, as it says there, of the spiced wine and the juice of the pomegranate. And the pomegranate points to the fact that there are a people in the earth today that are living from the inside out. In other words, they're living from the right side. Not from the left side of carnal thinking and false concepts and ideas that religion has taught us. But they're living from the inside out. They're living by the Christ mind. They are living by exercising the single life. They are living by spontaneous and purposeful meditation. And so what this is saying in verse 2 is that we are ministering we're going to these people as the Spirit leads, and we're telling them, I can teach you how that you can experience this oneness for yourself. I can show you how you can live from the inside out. I can show you how you can exercise the single eye that will cause your whole body to be full of light. Mm -hmm. I will show you how you can experience the immortality of your body. I can show you how you can experience living the life that you were designed and given to live. And that's what it's saying there in verse 2. These people, the Shulamite company, that have birthed the nature of Christ, they're going out and they're showing the people how that they can live from the right side as opposed to living from the left side. How the two can be joined together. How the, what the death exposed and what the resurrection revealed is what they need to come to the understanding of how they can live the Christ life that they were destined to live from eternity. Now, verse 3, she's speaking now here in verse 3 to the king, and this is very important, and there was another place, I think in chapter 3, maybe it was, I'm not sure, where there was a similar verse as it says here, and she is speaking to the king. In other words, you could say we're speaking to the king now. We're speaking to him because we are birthing this nature of Christ, and so we're saying something to him within us, okay? This is all happening within us. So verse 3, his left hand should be under my head and his right hand should embrace me. In other words, he lifted up the left side to bring it to the right. How many know that it took 
he within the midst of thee for us to take that left side and submit it to the right. It was through the power of the Spirit, not the energy of the flesh, but through the power of the Spirit. As the Word was quickened within us, made alive, as it was conceived within our virgin consciousness, it was He doing the job. And as it says there, His left hand, His left hand should be under my head, and His right hand should embrace me. That is simply saying that through the power of the Spirit, He's equipped us and given us everything we need, and it's His left hand under our left side lifting it up to the right so the two could become one. It's all a spiritual happening that's taking place within us and has been taking place within us. He does it all. Verse 4. Now here, He is speaking to the daughters, and He's charging them not to scare people away. That's good. And one of the, see, and we've been guilty of that in the past. You know, we've been kind of guilty of you know saying things to people that were maybe first starting to come into this, and and we need to realize that it doesn't matter where people are, whatever level of awareness they're on. The main thing is that they're coming and they're waking up. See, and so what we need to show people is it doesn't matter what level you have been on, because we've all been on different levels. He meets us at the level that we're at. Aren't you glad he has always met us at the level that we were at? So, so he's speaking to the daughters here, and he's charging them not to scare anyone away by giving them too much. You know, sometimes we can give people T-bone steak, and they need, still need pablum, yeah. or they still need a milk bottle, you see. And I thank God that people are more open now, and we can give out a lot more than what we were previously able to give out. Thank God for that, because people are awakening all over the place. But look what it says there in verse 4. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up, nor wake my love until he please. So he's simply telling them to rest in what has been taught to them. Don't get in a hurry. Don't try to speed up their growth, those that are asleep in Christ or those that are dead in Christ. Just let them go at their pace. You know, there's a saying, and, and I know it's kind of a new agey saying, uh, that people say that uh, when, when uh, a person is ready, when they're teachable, the teacher will show up. How does that go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when the person is ready you know, to be taught, the teacher will show up. And that's not necessarily talking about a person external to them, but the teacher within them will begin, when they're ready, will begin to show up. So what am I saying? And what is it saying here in verse 4? That we should not get ahead of the spirit and we should not try to be hasty with people's growth wanting to see them wake up overnight people will wake up I mean people are asking more questions than they have ever asked before and they're beginning to realize that some of the religious concepts that they have received over here on the left side just were not the truth and didn't help them out all that much so in other words we should not get in a hurry or get hasty is what he's saying there in verse 4 Now, in verse 5, the daughters, those asleep yet in Christ, those that are dead yet in Christ, are asking a question at the first part of verse 5, and then the rest of the verse is addressed to him who was birthed out of the Shulamite. So look what it says there in verse 5. Who is this? Now, this is the daughters. See, we birthed the nature of Christ. Grown in creation is on tiptoe looking for the manifestation of this birthing. And so they're still in the daughter realm. They're either in the dead in Christ realm or they're in the asleep in Christ realm. 
And so they're seeing a people, a Shulamite people, or you could say even a Solomon company, because the two are one now. And look what they say in verse 5. Who is this? Who is this? Remember when Ruth came back from the, the presence of Boaz? Isn't that when Naomi said, who are you? See, and that's what people are beginning to say about us. Where have they been? Who are they? See, who are these people? Seem a little strange, but, but who are these people? Looks like they've had some kind of an experience in God. You know, it's kind of like in Acts. Uh, you know, they came to the disciples and said, we can see you've been with God. Absolutely. So notice there, who is this that cometh up from the wilderness? Leaning upon her beloved, I raise thee up under the apple tree. There thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. And so what this is saying here simply is they're going to look at this people that have consummated the marriage and they're going to wonder not only who they are, but where have they been? Because we want to experience what they have experienced because we can see that they've had an experience above and beyond what the normal run-of-the-mill Christian has experienced. Now, let me bring this also out concerning uh, Ruth. When she was in the presence of Boaz, and she came back to Naomi, and Naomi said, Who are you? You know, after she had been in the presence of Boaz, Who are you? Remember, it says there that Ruth came back with six measures full. Six measures full. Now, I'm going to say something uh, about this that uh, if those uh, that follow us listen to the live stream on Sunday evening, I said it a little differently. I'm going to say it a little differently tonight as well. So she came back, Ruth came back with six measures full. What would that represent? Crucified, crucified with. Died, died with. Buried, and buried with. So what does that tell us? What does that reveal to us? The crucified and the crucified with, the died and the died with, the buried and the buried with. What did Jesus say on the cross? But I, or it, excuse me, is finished. What is the it that was finished? It means the baffling wind of self. So the I that we thought we were on the left side is what was crucified. Can you hear that? That which was buried was the I that we thought we were, but we never were. The, uh, the it that died, the I that died was, you know, what does it say in Colossians 1.21? We were alienated and we were enemies in our mind. Not the right side, in the left side. So that is what was crucified, what we thought that was false. The illusion that we thought we were. The I that we thought we were was crucified, died, and buried. And that's what it represents when she had spent that time in the presence of Boaz, and she came back to Naomi, and Naomi said, who are you? And she came back with that six measures. Something had happened to her. Why? She came in contact with the presence of Boaz. And that's really what's happening today. So, so they ask here, the dead in Christ and the asleep in Christ are seeing us who have birthed Christ, and they're saying, who is this? And notice it says, who is this that came out of the wilderness? What is the wilderness? The wilderness is confusion. Thank God we've come out of all that confusion. God. See, Babylon means what? Confusion by mixture. We've had a lot of mixture. That's right. And then look what it says. She came out of there leaning upon her beloved or trusting on the right side. Trusting in the right side. Slipping into the Christ mind when something looms up before her in the appearance realm. 
judging it according to the single eye, spending that time in that spontaneous or the purposeful meditation. It's just simply she was leaning upon her beloved. She was trusting on the right side as opposed to trusting on the left side. Then the Shulamite speaks in the second part of this verse, and look what it says. And she says, and this again is us who are birthing the birthing, uh, the, the nature of Christ. This is us saying this. I raised thee up under the apple tree, there thy mother brought thee forth. In other words, the Shulamite, the Shulamite raised up that which was conceived within her. What was conceived within her? In the Shulamite, it was Solomon representing Christ. So what is this saying where it says, I raised thee up under the apple tree, there my mother brought thee forth. It's talking about the fact that she is saying to the asleep in Christ and the dead in Christ, how that she took that which was from the right side and raised the left side up to be one with the right side. That's what she's saying there. So, and that's what we're saying. When people come to us because they see we have birthed the Christ nature, we operate out of love, joy, peace, the fruit of the Spirit, they're going to come to us and say, who are you? How did this happen? What did you do? And we're going to say, it's not so much something that we did, it's something we became aware of, and we raised up that awareness so that the two, the left and the right, could become one. Now, the word apple tree there, where it says, I raise it up under the apple tree, apple tree just simply denotes the quickened word of God. That word that has been quickened, made alive to us, and that took up conception in the feminine principle of our being. Right side is the masculine principle. Left side is the feminine principle. And how many know, as in the natural, so in the spiritual. We intercoursed, the right side intercoursed with the left side. The masculine principle, that sperma of the word of God, was brought over into the left side. It was quickened there. There was a conception that took place there, and this became the virgin consciousness. And so what took place was that we simply consummated the marriage. We've always been one. We've always been married. But we consummated the marriage. And we looked at scripture previously how that he rejoices when a people consummate the marriage. Here's the problem. People are all, you know, up, uh, you know, teaching people lies and religiosity about you can't experience any of this till you get raptured out of here or till you die and go to heaven. Mm -hmm. And we found out that he rejoiced over us because we realized that the consummation of the marriage is for the lovely here and now. It's not for the sweet by and by, folks. See, there's very little in the New Testament that talks about what happens to people after they physically leave their body. Why? Because it's all about living here. When Jesus talked about his parables, every parable, there was none that was about dying and going to heaven. It was about life here. The sower sowing the seed here. When he talked about that particular parable, the sower sowing the seed. He likened the ground where you sow the seed to the heart, to the left side. The seed's got to be sown on the left side. And as that sperma or that lagos or that seed comes from the masculine principle to the feminine principle, that consummates the marriage. The two become one, and all you're going to birth is the nature of Christ. Mm-hmm. See, and this apple tree is talking about, it's simply talking about the word of God being quickened and a conception taking place in our feminine principle, and then we just birth him automatically. It'll happen automatically. It won't be something we're trying to do. 
It'll be that which spontaneously happens. You know, you don't see a, a fruit tree struggle to bear fruit. It just bears fruit. It does what it was created by the Father to do. And we do what we are created by the Father to do, and that is to just naturally experience the conception. Just naturally experience the two becoming one and birthing Christ. Now, verse 6. In verse 6, Christ, or the daughters within them, is speaking and telling them to put him first as the Shulamite put him first. Because it does take putting this side first. Hello. Hello. It does take putting this. And we read other scriptures where she put him first. See? So, so look what it says in verse 6. Again, this is Christ within the daughters speaking to who? The asleep in Christ and to the dead in Christ. And look what it says. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire which hath a most vehement flame. So what he's saying here to the daughters is simply, if you want to birth my nature, if you want to birth the Christ, if you want to birth my nature like the Shulamite did, if you want to experience my love like she did, then you must understand that my love was so strong for you that I died for you in order to expose the lies that you were believing. Wow. See? And that's what that's saying there. That's simple what that's saying. And then he adds, jealousy is cruel as the grave. In other words, don't be jealous about what happened in the Shulamite. And if you are jealous about what happened in the Shulamite, you're going to dig your own grave. See, and I see a lot of people like this today. You know, there was a parable where some guys had worked, you know, many more hours than a few other guys, a parable of Jesus, and they got all got paid the same thing. Yep. You know, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So if we get all uptight because, you know, we've been in the ministry for 40 years, and bless God, some young whippersnapper like a millennial comes in and experiences this Christ birthing overnight, and we get all jealousy. Well, who are they that they get to experience? I've been working at this for 40, 50 years. You see? Well, that's what it's saying there. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. See, some of our kids are going to come in this overnight, and we're going to be standing there looking at well, How did they do that? I've been working at this for years. Been in the ministry for years, and here they are, way ahead. Well, honey, it's happening. I'm here to tell you it's already happening, you see. So we need to realize that, uh, you know, remember, remember Rahab? Mm -hmm. She hid the spies. Mm -hmm. She was a harlot. Yeah, she was. Hello. Hello. She was a harlot. She came into salvation, her and her whole family, overnight. That's right. And the rest of the guys stood there holding the bag, probably, <laughs> wondering what took place. Yeah, they were a harlot. And she's, listen, she's even listed in the genealogy. Sure is. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a good picture right there of people that are coming into this overnight and we who've been in this, laboring in this for 40, 50 years, you see. Right. So we can't get jealous about this. We have to realize, listen, the last shall be first, the first shall be last, and just be glad they're coming. Right. Huh? Just be glad that they're experiencing this. Now, notice the last part then of verse 6. It says, the coals thereof are coals of fire which hath a most vehement flame. In other words, we can either have our own coals, 
Or we can get the coals like Isaiah did off of the brazen altar. Remember what happened to Isaiah? He was out here, whoa, whoa, whoa to everybody. He was calling fire down and he was condemning them. And, and as soon as the coal touched his awareness, first of all awareness and then his lips, because I don't believe it just touched his lips. It touched his awareness and then it touched, changed his lips. Once that coal touched his awareness and his lips, he went around saying, a whole earth is full of the glory. He changed from, whoa, 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 whoa. You're going to get what you deserve, you old sinner, you. And he changed it to the whole earth is full of the glory of God. I don't know about you, but I'm having a little fun up here tonight. <laughs> the whole earth is full of the glory of God. And earth is not talking about the earth out there strictly. It's talking about us. It's talking about the earth right here. Right. So what happened with Brother Isaiah? His lips were touched. His awareness was touched with the coals off of the altar. And he went from saying, whoa, 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 to you bad guys, to, hey, you're all filled with the glory of God. You came here not as a sinner. You came here, one, you've never been separate. You didn't come here with an Adamic identity or a sinful nature. And Jesus had to go to the cross to give you a new identity and a new nature. He didn't say that whatsoever. He said, you came here blessed. Do you know the scripture where it says in Genesis chapter 1 that he made us in his image after his exact likeness and blessed us? It means he worshipped us and served us. Oh, my God. Yes. Doesn't it say in the scriptures in Psalms that he crowned us with honor and glory? So we have this false idea that we got to be serving God. Listen, he served us. Yes, he did. And he's still serving us. He serves us from the as we live from the inside out. You know what? That is, it's going to serve us well, but it's He serving us. But we have all this idea about you know we got to do this, that, and the other, and we got to serve Him. We don't want to disappoint Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, it doesn't even say that in Hebrews. It says without faith, it's impossible to agree with Him. There's nothing about we've always been pleasing unto Him. Now, in verse seven here. Christ is speaking to the daughters through the Shulamite company of people. Christ is speaking, you could say through us here, to who? To the daughters. And who are the daughters now? The daughters are those asleep in religiosity and the dead in Christ, those who have not even named the name of Christ, those who don't even have an inkling that they've always been one with him. And she's speaking and she's saying here in verse 7, many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be condemned. In other words, no matter what people say about the Shulamite company and the word that they are ministering and the expression of Christ that's coming out of them, no matter what people say, it doesn't matter how they you know, want to come against us and put us down or persecute us. It says right here, no matter what people say, love cannot quench the floods that would come out at us. You know, there's a scripture in Isaiah that says, if you walk through the fire, you're not going to be burned. If you walk through the, you know, the, the waters, you're not going to drown. But notice what else it says here. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be condemned. What is that talking about? You could sell everything that you own to try to buy this experience, and you cannot buy it. You know why? Because love is a gift. Grace is a gift. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23, it tells us there that obedience is better than sacrifice. 
Well, what is New Testament obedience? It's not doing. It's not behavior. New Testament obedience is hearing. That's right. And one of the meanings of worship is to hear, to understand, and be able to speak that word. That's New Testament obedience. It's hearing by the Spirit. Are we hearing? That's obedience, folks. That's New Testament obedience. Are we hearing by the Spirit? Are we hearing from the right side or are we hearing from the left side? It depends what we're feeding on. Right. It really depends what we're feeding on. Tree of knowledge of good and evil is the left side. Tree of life is the right side. Now, verse 8 states, and in verse 8 here, the Shulamite is speaking, or we could say we're speaking, those that have been part of the daughters, but they brought the emotions under the control of the spirit, and so now they're a part of a Shulamite company, which we are a part of because we're one with the king. We're birthing the nature of Christ. So listen, the Shulamite is speaking here in verse 8, and she's speaking to the daughters of Jerusalem. Again, who are the daughters of Jerusalem? Those asleep in religiosity and those that are dead in Christ. And look what she says here. This is very interesting in verse 8. She says, we have a little sister and she has no breasts. We have a little sister and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken of? In other words, when our sister, our little sister, that has no breasts or no nourishment, she's immature, nothing is developed, and she desires to experience this consummation as the Shulamite has, what can we do for her? That's the question that is being asked. What can we do for our little sister that has no breasts? What shall we do for our sister in the day when she be spoken of, when she desires to experience what we've experienced because she sees what we have experienced? What are we going to do for her? Well, we're not going to minister to her from the left side. That's right. I guarantee you. We'll minister to her from the right side. Right. From the Christ mind. From the single eye. We'll show her that she never was separate from the Father. That's right. We'll show her that she never was a sinner. That she always was holy. She always was righteous. We'll show her according to Ecclesiastes, where it talks about the fact that we came here upright, but we came up with many inventions. And what were the inventions? The lies of religion. We came here upright, it says in Ecclesiastes. Where is that? Seven, chapter 7, around chapter 729. We came here upright, but we came up with many inventions or many false ideas about that uprightness. So what are we going to tell our little sister that has no breast, that has no maturity, that has no real nourishment from anyone? We're going to tell her, you never came here as a sinner. You came here upright. You came here holy. You came here righteous. You didn't come here with an Adamic identity. You didn't come here with a sinful nature. You were always one with your father. We're going to show her, Colossians 1.21, that she only thought in her mind that she was alienated and separate and that she was an enemy of God or a sinner of God. That's what we're, we're going to give her something to be nourished on so that she can have the maturity, so that the breast can become full, so that she can get the nourishment, you see, the proper nourishment. And then notice in verse 9 that the king answers the question that the Shulamite asked in verse 8, and he says, If she be a wall, we will build her a palace of silver. Now, palace here means a tower. And what does a tower point to? But the high thoughts, not the lower thoughts of the left side, but the tower points to the high thoughts of the right side. 
And of course, it's thoughts from the right side that are redemptive thoughts. In other words, it's showing her that she has always had redemption. See, what, redemption is an interesting word. It doesn't mean to buy back. That's what religion taught us, that re redemption means to buy back. No, it means we came here and we were always deemed by the Father as one and we forgot it and got amnesia so we had to be redeemed in our awareness. Re just means again. R-E just uh, means again. So we were always deemed as one by the Father and we forgot that so we had to be re-minded, re-told that we were always deemed as one by the Father. See, he came to seek and save that which was lost. What was lost? Just the awareness. Just the awareness is the only thing that was lost. So notice what it says here. Now, wall, let me read this again, verse 8. If she be a wall, and this is the, you know, the king is answering the question that the Shuamite asked in verse 8, which is, we have a little sister, she has no breast. what should we do for our sister in the day that she desires to experience this oneness as the Shuamite did? So the king is answering that and says, if she be a wall. Now, what is a wall? A wall always speaks of salvation in the scriptures. And remember in the book of Nehemiah, he had the task of rebuilding the walls. And the walls, every one of the walls, I think there were 12 walls, every one of the walls had to do with rebuilding out here the awareness, the feminine principle of our being. See, the temple speaks of what? The masculine principle, but the walls speak of the feminine principle, speak of our awareness here. So what is being said here in verse 9 is, and if, it's if, it's a big if, if she be a door, we will enclose her with the boards of cedar. In other words, if she is one, that is coming to the realization of the wall salvation, then we're going to build her with boards of cedar. See, we all become, as the two become one in our experience, you know what? We become a wall to people. We become salvation to people because we have realized that he is salvation as us and now we are an entrance way for people. We are a wall for people. And notice if she be a wall, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. Now, the door here is connected with cedar, which denotes what? Solomon's temple was built by cedar. And what is the word cedar? What does that denote? Cedar denotes everlasting. Where do you get cedar? Evergreen tree. So it's speaking of if she's going to be a wall, if she's going to experience salvation and then bring that salvation and be a door of salvation to others, we have to build her up on cedar. We have to show her the eternal oneness that she's had, the eternal salvation that she's always had, the eternal inheritance that she has always had. In other words, she can be a door of life to others once she has realized the eternal salvation the eternal inheritance, the everlasting life that she has. Now, verse 10, Shulamite is speaking, and she is saying, and again, that's us speaking, that's us speaking to the dead in Christ and the sleep in Christ, I am a wall, listen, 
and my breast like towers. Then was I in his eyes as one that found favor. Now, once again, what are we doing? We are bringing salvation to the dead in Christ, and we're bringing salvation to the asleep in Christ. In other words, we're simply showing them that from before time ever began, they had salvation. Ephesians chapter 1, 3 and 4, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 9, we were saved from before time, objectively. Now, subjectively, to experience that, yes, we have to acknowledge that. But listen, salvation has been a discovery. It's not something that we walk the green mile, we accept Jesus as our Savior. You know what? We all did that, I'm sure. But what that really was, was a discovery of something that had been true about us from before time ever began. And that's what's being said here. I am a wall in my breast like towers. Then was I in his eyes as one that found favor. Then was I in his eyes as one that found peace. Another word for favor there in some Bibles is peace. In other words, she discovered in herself that he as her was salvation, was oneness, was health, was wealth, was all in all. See, she's beginning to wake up here in verse 10 because the Shulamite is speaking and saying, I am a wall in my breast like towers, and I was in his eyes as one that found favor. She's saying, this is what I am. The Shulamite is saying, this is what I am, and this is what those who are asleep in Christ and dead in Christ are going to experience because I'm going to become a wall to them. I'm going to become all in all to them through my union that I have in Christ and through the birthing that which I have birthed of Christ. Now, it gets better and better. Look at verse 11. We're almost done. She's still speaking here. The Shulamite is. And she says, Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He let out the vineyard, listen, unto keepers. Every one for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. Now listen to this. Belhaman there means lord of a multitude, lord of many, and many speaks of where it says many are called, few are chosen. Many means the largest number. In other words, it includes all mankind. So in other words, Solomon had a vineyard that included all mankind. We're his vineyard. All humanity is his vineyard. But now listen. And he let out his vineyard to keepers. What for? To keep the garden. What is the vineyard? What is the garden? It's that that needs to be kept on the left side by joining it to the right side. That's what Adam didn't do. He did not keep the garden. He was told all he had to do, all his job that God gave him to do was to keep the garden. See? So we must learn to keep the garden. How? By joining the left to the right side. And then look what it goes on to say. Everyone for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. Now, thousand here means simply means glory. And how many know we were crowned with glory and honor? So in other words, we're the ones that must keep the awareness. We must keep the garden. We must keep the weeds from growing in the left side. How? By bringing the sperma, the lagos, the seed of the word over to the left side so the two can experience that oneness. Now, 
uh, we can go to the uh, most holy place of the uh, of the tabernacle, and we can see that the most holy place was ten by ten by ten. What does that designate? Ten by ten by ten. That's a thousand. That's where he lives. He lives in the most holy. Guess where the most holy place is? Right here. Where? Listen. We are the house of God. We are the temple of God. And more specifically, where are your temples on your head, but on either side of your head? If we didn't have consciousness, if we didn't even have a brain, there'd be no experience of what we're talking about. You couldn't experience what we're talking about without the consciousness. So he dwells in the most holy place. He dwells in our consciousness. See, he dwells in our consciousness. That's the only place he can dwell is in our consciousness. If we didn't have a consciousness, we'd be laying flat dead on the floor. Because consciousness is the same word as spirit. We are spirit slowed down to visibility. Meaning we are consciousness and he dwells within our consciousness. And this is what it's talking about here where it says everyone for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. In other words, we're to have the consciousness that he always deemed us as one with him. And again, we forgot so guess what? We had to be reminded, redeemed, if you will. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. What was lost? Our awareness. Now, look at verse 12. She's still speaking here, and look what she says. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, and those that keep the fruit thereof, two hundred. So notice what she's saying here. She's saying... It's my garden to keep, but yet it's his vineyard. See? So, in other words, he has entrusted us to keep the garden or to keep the vineyard. It's his vineyard. The right side is his vineyard. But we're to keep the vineyard on this side by what? By submitting the left side, keeping the garden of the left side by submitting it to the right side, which is the So it's both. It's her garden, but it's his garden. See? It's both. Verse 13, she's still speaking. Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions, hearken to thy voice. Cause me to hear it. Now notice it says gardens. It doesn't say garden. Why? It's a many-membered garden. It's a many-membered garden. And the companions denote a first-fruit people. And she's saying here that they hear and they want to hear more because she has come into a place now to where those who are hungry and want to hear and continually hear more and more and more, she has it and she can give it because she has kept her garden. See, there's a people today that are learning to keep the garden and they're realizing it's mine to keep, but it's his. It's his garden, it's his vineyard, but yet he's entrusted me in what the left hemisphere represents He's entrusted me to keep all the weeds, the lies. See, and those that are still, you know, asleep in Christ, have, they still have a lot of lies here on the left side. Right. And those who are dead in Christ and haven't acknowledged anything of Christ yet, they still have some lies too because to them it's all about heaven or hell. I mean, to a lot of the asleep in Christ, it's still about heaven and hell. Right. See, but what is it about? What was it about to the Shulamite? His purpose. And what is his, what is it about? What is the purpose for us? It's to consummate a marriage that we've always had by allowing the two to become one. Now, verse 14, make haste, my beloved. She's still speaking. Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like to a roe or to a young heart 
upon the mountains of spices. In other words, come quickly. That's what it's saying. Make haste, my beloved. Come quickly. Come suddenly. You know, Malachi talks about he comes suddenly to his temple. You see? So as we're about the business of consummating the marriage, that's what we're saying. Come quickly. Not splitting an eastern sky and coming back on a white horse tooting a golden trumpet and rapturing people away and setting everything straight in this world. No, come quickly through the manifestation, you see, because we're about the business and the purpose of consummating the marriage. That's what it's saying there. Now, a roe, it says, and be thou like unto a roe and a young heart. A roe is a male deer. And listen, a male deer or a roe, you know what they do? They're keen on following their instincts. So it's talking about a people that are keen in following their instincts on the right side. Meaning what? Always slipping into the Christ mind, no matter what appears. Always exercising the single eye. Always stepping back when an appearance realm looms up before you. And just for a few seconds, going into that spontaneous meditation so that you respond by spirit instead of reacting by flesh. Mm -hmm. See, that's what that's saying. A young heart, listen, means strength. It means chief. It means a ram, which is a male sheep. So in other words... He's likening his coming and he's associating it with people that are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and are living from the right side as opposed to living out of the left side. So no matter what we teach, it all comes back to the right side. It all comes back to the Christ mind. It all comes back to exercising the single eye. It all comes back to contemplation, spontaneous meditation, or purposeful meditation. It all comes back to that. Amen. And let me remind you of this in closing. And I, I bring this up a lot. Jesus, in teaching the parable of the sower, said, if you understand this parable, you'll understand them all. And you will understand the principle of life. And what is the principle of life? You don't get a harvest without planting a seed. You don't get fruit without putting a seed in the ground. And he likened in that parable our heart to the ground. So if you understand that parable, that it's all about planting a seed from the right side to the left side, Spirit, our spirit quickens that seed, makes it alive, and causes a conception to take place to where this then becomes the virgin consciousness. And we birth the nature of Christ. That's what it's all about, folks. It's not about flying and dying and crying and all of that. It is about, in this life, bearing the fruit. And not just fruit that's here today and gone tomorrow. See, fruit that's here today and gone tomorrow is because... It's coming out of the left side. You can get a healing out there on the left side. You can seek healing for the sake of healing, or you can say, uh, seek things for the sake of things. But Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of those things that you have need of will be automatically, spontaneously unfolded. You see? So it's all about that. It's all about, you know, uh, so many people today say, well, you know, we, we worship Jesus. You know, we follow Jesus. He didn't want us to worship him. He wanted us, to, listen, to follow him by doing what he said. And what did he say? Take no thought. Remember we talked about the Greeks. There were five levels of consciousness. There was the earth. There was the water. There was the air. And there was the fire. And then there was the Christ mind. What is the earth? It's carnal thinking. What is the water? It's not dunking your head in a pool to get baptized. It's not that at all. It's the washing of the water of the word. This being cleansed and washed. That's what foot washing really points to allegorically. 
What is the air? It's when you come to the place to where you take no thought of the outside. And then you come to the fire. It's your spirit that quickens and conceives all of this. And then you're in the mind of Christ and you are spontaneously birthing the nature of Christ. Amen. So that's the end of Song of Solomon. As I said, next week we're going to get a, start getting into some really awesome things. Not that this hasn't been awesome in Song of Solomon. It has, but we're going to just begin to kind of switch up. And uh, what I hear within me is we're going to lift it up a, another level. So are you ready for another level up? Amen. I'm ready for another level up. He, he spoke to me when I was in North Carolina. Uh, I didn't share. I don't think I shared that here. But it was so real to me. I heard. I woke up in the morning couple weeks ago in North Carolina and I heard from within myself and it almost seemed like an audible voice he said Kay listen and I got up and I shared it with the people and I, I, I wept I broke down and I wept because it was so reverberating and so and I don't cry in front of people I just don't do that but I, I wept because it was so reverberating within me and now I'm hearing some things since then that's going to take it up a notch. So I trust that you're ready. I don't know you are to go up a notch. Be prayerful about that. Be prayerful about that. Be ready. Because you know what? We're going to, we, we are progressive in the truth that we minister here. And I thank God for that, that, that we progress from realm to realm and glory to glory. We don't want to stay in the same place all the time. We want to continue to move in Him. Because, listen, it's in Him that we move, live move and have our being. Amen. Amen. So Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for our spirit that quickens and conceives this word within us. Thank you for the revelation of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity and that you've placed within us everything we have need of to be able to consummate this marriage that we've been talking about. Thank you for your love, your grace. We bless you. We honor you in the name of the Lord. Amen.
No matter what you have done, no matter what you will do, His love will never change, change for you.